0: Well, good morning once again. Welcome to Redeeming Grace. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is uh, as good as always to be able to gather with you in person and those that are gathering with us online this morning. We're going to be in Mark chapter 6 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to that. And Madeline is going to read our sermon text this morning. So listen to the word of the Lord.
1: Mark six thirty to 56. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to the desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them as well. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side of Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was on out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Geneserah and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, and countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well.
0: Amen. Let's pray. Holy God, we bless your name this morning as we sang earlier. God, you are great and you are good. And Father, we thank you for bringing us here today. We thank you for your living and active word. And we pray that you would help us to see Jesus today. With all the distractions in life right now, maybe this week, or just all that's going on in the world, we pray by your spirit that we would be able to see Christ And as we do that, that the name of Christ would be exalted and our love for him would be stirred today. We pray all this in his name. Amen. A few years ago, a friend of mine, who's also a pastor in the area, said I should read a book called The Shepherd's Life. And initially I thought, because he's a pastor and because pastors and elders are often referred to as shepherds in the Bible, that this was a book about pastoral ministry about caring for God's people who are often called sheep in the Bible. But he corrected me. Now, this is a book literally about being a shepherd. Like, not like a how-to. Like, if you decide you want to change careers or something like that. It's an autobiographical tale about shepherding in the northern lake district of England in present time. And let me tell you, it is an amazing book. It is wonderfully written and really fascinating. I loved reading it, learning about the modern role of being a shepherd year-round. Let me tell you, it is really, really hard work. Namely, because sheep can't take care of themselves. Last Sunday, we jumped back into our sermon series called Follow Me in the Gospel of Mark. And we've seen Jesus do and say a lot of amazing things in these first five and a half chapters of the Gospel of Mark. And as he's been doing this, he has a growing number of people who are beginning to follow him, at least at some level. And within that larger group of people, he's called 12 men to be his closest followers, his closest disciples. And lots of people have lots of ideas about who Jesus is. Maybe you're one of those people. Maybe you grew up in the church, or maybe you're new to the church, but you have some concept, all of us do, of who Jesus is. And that's why Mark is writing this gospel narrative. He wants to help us to see who Jesus really is, who he truly is. And by doing that, to help us know what it looks like to follow him in all of life. As we come to our text today, we learn something new about who Jesus is. We learn through Jesus's words and his actions that he also is a shepherd, not of literal sheep, but of God's people. But Jesus isn't just any shepherd. Jesus is our compassionate shepherd. And we'll see his compassionate shepherding on display as he steps into desolate places and desperate times to feed the hungry, to be present with the fearful, and to heal the sick. But this isn't just a nice story about Jesus. It has implications for your life and for my life. So whether you know these stories really well or they're new to you, whether you know a whole lot about Jesus or you're just checking out who he is, my hope today for all of us is that we will not only see more of who he is, but we'll actually experience his compassionate heart towards us as we find ourselves in our own desolate places in desperate times. So let's jump into Mark chapter 6, and may God bless the preaching of his word. Last week, we saw that rejection and resistance are normal, even to be expected for followers of Jesus. That Jesus was rejected, and that we should expect that to happen even in our own lives, but that God gives grace for us to keep going. Mark told us the story of John the Baptist's death, which he sandwiched between the sending of these 12 disciples out in pairs to preach the message of the king and bring the influence of the kingdom and their return, which we see in verse 30. Look at verse 30. It says, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And it's now that we pick up at this moment and begin to see this fuller picture of who Jesus is, a picture that we'll find out it still seems to be a little fuzzy for these 12 disciples. And it's also here that we begin to see Jesus as our compassionate shepherd. Look at verse 31. It says, and he said to them, speaking to his disciples, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. Right away, we see the kindness and care of Jesus. The disciples have been running hard. They've been doing lots of ministry, facing rejection and acceptance along the way, but it's been a difficult and challenging and exhausting time. It says they don't even have time to eat. They need rest. They need a break. I know some of you can relate to this. Maybe life right now is very full for you with a busy job, or you're a parent of young kids wondering when and how you could just get a little bit of extra sleep. Some of you wondering when and how can I even just take a shower today? We need to understand something in here. Rest is not a sign of weakness. Rest is an acknowledgement of our limitations, that you and I aren't God. We need to take a break sometimes. So Jesus sees his disciples and he seeks to care for them. So in verse 32, they get in a boat to get away, have a little bit of a sabbatical, but that doesn't last very long. Look at verse 33. Now many saw them going, and recognized them and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. What we see here in this moment is that the fame of Jesus and his disciples is spreading and everyone wants in on it. So this crowd starts to show up in this place where they're going to go find rest, but instead of Jesus sending them away so the disciples could have that rest in that moment, we see Christ's heart on display here in this verse. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like a sheep without we're like sheep without a shepherd. He sees this crowd, this forming group of people around them and he has compassion on them. What is compassion exactly? Is it just having pity on someone or feeling sorry for them? No, the word in the original language literally means feeling deep in the bowels. It's being moved at the core of who you are with great affection and great love for someone, also with the desire to show mercy toward him or her. That's what Jesus feels when he sees this crowd. And why is it that he has this level of feeling, this level of compassion on them? Well, Mark tells us because they're like sheep without a shepherd. So what does Mark mean by that? Well, in the Jewish context, the metaphor of a shepherd wasn't just about caring for God's people. It was about being a leader for God's people. So he's saying they lack a caring leader. They lack a benevolent king. They have no one looking out for them. They have no direction in their life. They need someone to guide them. In other words, Jesus looks at them and sees that they're in danger. They're tossed to and fro by the winds of the culture that they find themselves in. But this isn't just a Jewish metaphor Mark is using. It also has Old Testament allusions. In a rebuke to the religious leaders of God's people, the prophet Ezekiel, speaking on behalf of God, says this. Ezekiel chapter 34, verses four through six. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So... They were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep, God says, were scattered. They, were, they wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Mark's picking up this theme here. Jesus looks at this very large and growing crowd of people, and like Ezekiel, he sees sheep without a shepherd to lead them, to feed them, to guide them, and to guard them. And so Jesus, out of the overflow of his compassionate heart, as he's moved to the core of who he is, his love and affection for them comes out. Jesus, who says in Luke 19 that he came to seek and to save the lost, acts like a shepherd, acts like the shepherd they need. And over these next three scenes, the first two being longer than the third, we see this play out in different ways. First, we see Jesus is our compassionate shepherd who feeds the hungry. He feeds the hungry, and he does so in two different ways. See, the people before him, they're not just in need of a meal, they're not just physically hungry, they're spiritually hungry. So Jesus starts by feeding them spiritually. Look at the rest of verse 34, and he began to teach them many things. That doesn't say the content of his teaching here, but the same story is in Luke chapter 9. And In Luke chapter 9, we see that he's teaching them about the kingdom of God. This is consistent with what we've seen of Jesus so far in the gospel of Mark. He's telling people about God's kingdom. He's calling them to repent and believe. He's telling them what life looks like when you're with God and you're following him in his ways. And this is their most pressing need. This group of people that sit before Jesus are spiritually malnourished. They've been misled. They've been led astray by blind guides who care more about outward religiosity than they do for the heart and soul of these people. And so Jesus, the compassionate shepherd, seeks to nourish their soul and guide them in truth about the king and the kingdom of God. Last Sunday, our call to worship was from Psalm 23, and it begins with the well-known line, the Lord is my shepherd. Yahweh is my shepherd. God is my shepherd. And then verse 3 says, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's what we see Jesus, our compassionate shepherd, doing here. He's teaching them about the way of the king. He's guiding their souls. He's restoring them and drawing them back to what is true about themselves in light of what is true about God. But Jesus isn't just the compassionate shepherd who seeks to feed them spiritually, he's also the compassionate shepherd who seeds their real need, physical need, and feeds them physically. Look at verses 35 and 36. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. I mean, this is reasonable, right? I mean, I'd be that guy. I'd be like, Jesus, like, it's six. Like, we got to get people moving here. Like, show's over. They can come back again another day, but they've got to go home. We have nothing else to give to them. Have you ever been driving down 81 and you're in between exits, like where there's anything. You're like, I'm hungry, but there's nothing to stop to get food. This is, they're in a desolate place. There's nothing for them to do. I'd be like, guy. We've got to figure this out, Jesus. Let's, let's get the show moving here. But listen, practical isn't bad. It's just not the only way to solve a problem. So Jesus doesn't rebuke them for suggesting this. He just flips the script on them. Look at verse 37. He said, answered them, you give them something to eat wait, what? You, who, all these people, you, me, us, we give them something to eat. And so they seemed to respond in somewhat of a sarcastic way. They said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? The sarcasm in this is the fact that 200 denarii was almost a full year's wage. Money these disciples certainly don't have. Like Jesus, are you out of your mind? How in the world could we feed them? All these people. But see, Jesus, the compassionate shepherd, doesn't just want to teach the crowd about the kingdom of God. He wants to teach the disciples something, too. Look at verses 38 through 44. And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. What an interesting little piece of information. Why does the surrounding Layout of the land matter to us. Why does he say the green grass? Well, it makes me think of Psalm 23 again. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. I love that we see Jesus giving thanks to the father. For his own humanity, he thanks the Father for an example to the disciples. And for us, he thanks the Father for providing this food, these resources for God's people. And he passes out the food via the disciples. Once again, he's inviting them to be a part of the work that he's doing here, a work that he is ministering here. In verse 42, and they all ate and were satisfied. This isn't just a little snack to get them by. It isn't like a, a granola bar, like, I'm in between meals here. This will help me out. They eat and they're satisfied. This is a full meal for these people. And we find out, again, the size of this crowd verse 44. There's at least 5,000 men there. 5,000 men, which means there's probably women and children there as well. It's not unlikely that there's 10,000 to 12,000 people here. And Jesus takes five loaves and two fish and feeds them all. Have you ever been to a sporting event or a concert and people are in line to get food? That's a massive amount of food. Jesus does that here with a little bit. And there's enough of leftovers here. We see in verse 43, and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of the fish and the bread. See, all of this happening here in front of this crowd of people. It reminds me of when God provided for his people in the midst of the wilderness, As they left Egypt, they were complaining and grumbling that they didn't have anything to eat, that they were going to starve out in the middle of the desert. And Moses, on behalf of the people, pleads before God, and God rains down manna on them, bread on them. Who can do something like this? Only God can do something like this. And that's what Mark wants us to see, what Jesus wants us to see. The fact that Jesus himself does this shows us that he isn't just some religious teacher. He isn't just some traveling miracle worker. He is our compassionate shepherd who is God himself. This is the only miracle of Jesus that is recorded in all four gospels. And I think the reason for that is because it's so massive. It impacts so many people. But we don't know if the crowd is fully aware of what's actually happened. They've been provided for, Maybe they didn't see where the food all came from, but we don't know if they really understand that it came from just this small amount, but but the disciples certainly do. They're certainly aware. I don't think it's happenstance that there are 12 baskets of leftovers for each of the 12 disciples to pick up and carry. In their hands, they each hold the reality of who Jesus is, the reality of what Jesus can do. As we'll see in a moment, they don't fully get it either. With the large crowd fully satisfied, we see Jesus suddenly, immediately, Mark writes, send his disciples away and dismiss the crowd. Look at verses 45 and 46. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. What's going on here? Well, there's some indication that there was a revolutionary sentiment within the crowd. Revolutions happen in the hills. The area that they're in is where a lot of the zealots were that were feeling oppressed and wanted to overthrow the government. They desired change. And they've just heard some amazing words and they've just seen some amazing work. And based on John six fifteen, it says they were about to take Jesus by force and make him king. That's what's going on here. And so Jesus, instead of giving into that and saying, yeah, you know what? Let's do this. Today's a good day. No, he sends them home. And he withdraws to be alone with his father in prayer. And that leads us to our next scene where we learn Jesus is not only our compassionate shepherd who feeds the hungry, both spiritually and physically, he is our compassionate shepherd who is present with the fearful. Verse 47, and when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. I love this. Once again, we see his compassionate shepherd's heart. They're in a desperate place. You know, I think it's interesting in the gospel of Mark, whenever the disciples aren't with Jesus, like physically with him, things don't seem to go well for them. But Jesus doesn't remain distant. He sees them in their distress. He sees the wind pushing against them. But instead of calming the wind and waves from where he is, which he would be fully capable of doing, He seeks to show them mercy and relieve their fear and distress by coming to them and being present with them. But he doesn't grab another boat. There's not a jet ski laying on the side of the shore that he just hops on to go rescue them. No, we learn here, he says, he came to them walking on the sea. Jesus walks on the water. Now, again, if we've been familiar with this, if you grew up in the church or you've heard this story before, you're like, cool, yeah, it's Jesus. That sounds great. Walk on water. No big deal. I don't know about you. I haven't seen anybody do that. Who can do this? Job chapter nine, verse eight, God alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. Psalm 77, verse 19, your ways, meaning God was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. Who can do this? The answer again is God alone. God alone can walk on the water we'll come back to that more in a minute because now we see the rest of verse 48 into verse 49. He meant to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out for they all saw him and were terrified. You've ever been in a hurry, like at the grocery store or something and you're trying to hurry, you've got places to go, things to do and you see someone you know from a distance, like, oh, I don't really have time to talk to them right now. Let me see if I can kind of weave around the aisles and not actually see them. Maybe I can kind of walk by, pull my hat down, collar up, and just get out of here. We're trying to avoid, right? When it says Jesus meant to pass them by, that isn't that. (laughs) He isn't like... He isn't seeking to avoid the disciples seeing them. He's passing them by because he wants them to see him. Once again, he's seeking to reveal more of who he is to his closest followers. Man, they don't know it's Jesus. They think it's a phantom or a ghost. They were already fearful. They were already scared. Now they're absolutely terrified. But Jesus, our compassionate shepherd, calms them in the midst of their fearfulness. But how does he do it? Not first by calming the storm, but by identifying himself. Look at verse 50. For they were all... They saw him and were terrified, but immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. The ESV, that's the translation of the Bible that we use here, obscures something important here in their translation, where it says it is I, in the original language, can be, I think should be translated, I am. This is the way God identifies Himself to Moses in the wilderness. And here Jesus is saying to his disciples, Take heart, I am. I am. When I can say to my kids, if they feel fearful, don't be afraid. You could say to a friend who's having a hard time and is unsure or uncertain about a situation, trust me, it's gonna be okay. Man, it doesn't hold the weight of what's happening here because you and I aren't omnipotent. We're not all powerful. We're not omniscient. We don't know all things. As these disciples are in a desperate place, as they're fearful and tired and weary from trying to get across the sea in the middle of the night, Jesus says to them, take heart, I am. Do not be afraid. This isn't just their friend speaking this to them. This isn't just their teacher telling them not to be fearful. He isn't saying, don't be afraid because you know me. He's saying, don't be afraid because I am God. I'm God, the very one who called the winds and waves into existence, who holds the cosmos together. He's saying, I am here and I am with you. And that's seen all the more as he gets into the boat and the wind ceases. Again, Psalm 23 comes to mind. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters." How can he say, don't be afraid? How can he overcome this desperate situation in their, that they're in? Because not only is our, he our compassionate shepherd who is present with the fearful, but he is our compassionate shepherd who is God himself. So how do they respond? I mean, after all, this is the second time now that he's rescued them in the midst of a literal storm. He gets into the boat, the wind ceases and it says, and they were utterly astounded. But they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. They're utterly astounded. Why? Well, thankfully, Mark does something really helpful here for us. He connects this, the reaction here to the previous scene. They're utterly astounded. They're they're surprised. They're dumbfounded, Mark says, because they didn't understand about the loaves. They didn't see the big picture of who Jesus is here. They didn't think about this and connect all the dots here. Why? It says because their hearts are hardened. What's Mark saying here? What's he trying to show us here? Well, first we have to understand what a hard heart is. The heart of a person in biblical terms is where the motivational structure of your life resides. Out of your heart flows your will and your emotions, your thoughts and your feelings. Everything comes from the heart. And a heart can be hardened when you and I lack understanding of who God really is. It can lead to unbelief. I mean, think about this. These men have been out preaching and healing in the name of Christ, the authority given to them by Jesus to do and say some amazing things. They've just seen Jesus feed thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people in an amazingly miraculous way. Now he not only walks on water, but again calms a windstorm and they don't get it. They don't get him. They struggle to see Jesus for who he truly is. But I love that Jesus doesn't give up on them at this moment. His patience doesn't run out for them. His compassion towards them remains. He doesn't get to the other side of the shore and be like, I'm done with you guys. Like I've given you a lot of chances to get on board with what I'm doing and who I am, but you just don't get it. I'm going to go find a new set of disciples. No, he continues to show compassion to them. And I think we can learn something from this, be encouraged by this. You know, it can take a while to get your mind and your heart around who Jesus really is. You can be an honest disciple, an honest and true follower of Christ and still wrestle with the exhaustive nature of Christ. It's one of the reasons why we keep coming back to Jesus every week. As we gather together as the church. Because we can forget who he is. This is why we come back to who Jesus is and set him in front of ourselves in the midst of community group. We forget, we doubt, we stray. And so we need to keep setting Jesus before our hearts, keep setting him before our minds, keep setting him before one another to say, this is who he is. God himself, our compassionate shepherd. Listen, if God can use these guys who have a front row seat to Jesus's life, a front row seat to Jesus's ministry and still struggle to believe, he can certainly use us who fail and falter along the way, who wrestle and battle unbelief as well, because he's not only their compassionate shepherd, he's our compassionate shepherd also. as we come to the end of Mark chapter six, we come to the end of a section in this gospel narrative Mark is primarily summarizing all that Jesus has done. But even in that, we see that Jesus is our compassionate shepherd who heals the sick. Look at verses 53 through 56. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. The fame of Jesus continues to spread. As they arrive on the shore, people run about all over the place to bring their sick to him. This scene seems frenzied and chaotic. Like, Jesus is here, let's go reminds me of the friends who bring their friend on the mat and rip open the roof to lower their friend to the feet of Jesus people are coming out they want to be near Christ they want to come to him they're in helpless and hopeless situations and so they urgently try to be near Jesus I wonder do we do the same thing being okay being frenzied and chaotic to get closer to Jesus And we aren't sure that they're coming to him to actually get him or just coming to get what he can give to them. But nevertheless, with some level of faith, they come. And so he goes into villages and cities and countrysides and he continues to carry out his primary ministry, which is teaching about the kingdom of God. But as he does, he encounters those who are sick and suffering. And as we've seen him do many times before, Jesus isn't too busy for those in need. Just like the woman who suffered for 12 years, spending all of her money trying to get better, Jesus has compassion on them and he brings physical healing in the midst of their hopelessness. You know, as I've been reflecting on this text this week, all that's happening in it, and there's a lot going on, I realized I really love the picture we see of Jesus in these three scenes. I love that Jesus here isn't just a teacher who's detached and distant, kind of spouting off truths and concepts and ideas. I love that Jesus isn't just a shepherd, that he's not heavy-handed in his shepherding. He's not harsh in his shepherding. He's compassionate. I love that he's our compassionate shepherd who shows up in desolate places and desperate times and feeds the hungry physically and spiritually, is present with the fearful and heals the sick. I love that he does it in a way that only God himself could do. Jesus isn't just a good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. He's the one every person in these stories needed. And the reality is he's the one that every person in this room needs, even now. See, the reality is the ultimate place of desolation, the ultimate place of desperation, the ultimate sickness in our lives is our sin. You and I have all rebelled against God. We've all gone our own way trying to be God in our lives. You know what that's produced in our life? Difficulty upon difficulty upon difficulty. All that's produced is darkness and death. And what it deserves for our rebellion against God is his righteous wrath and holy judgment. You and I deserve not compassion. We deserve to be crushed for our sin. We deserve to be left in that place of desolation, left in that place of desperation because we've turned our back on God but in the ultimate display of compassion. Jesus, who for the joy set before him, went to the cross, despising the shame, Jesus became sin for us. He became a substitute for you and for me. And on a Roman cross, he took on the wrath that we deserved. He died in our place so that we might be forgiven and set free. And three days later, he rose again as a definitive declaration that he is exactly who he said he is. And he accomplished exactly what he said he came to accomplish our rescue, our redemption. But listen, he did this not because we're special. He did this not because we're better. He wasn't kind of assessing his team and saying, hey, I could use a couple of more people, they'd be good ads. No, he doesn't do this because we earned it. He doesn't do it because we figured it out. He does it because he is a God who Psalm 145 said is gracious and merciful. He's a God who's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love because he's a God who is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. In other words, because he is the good, gracious, compassionate shepherd who redeems people out of the most desolate and desperate place we could ever be listen if you're a follower of Jesus someone who's placed all of their hope and all of their faith and all of their trust in who Jesus is and what he's done then the most miraculous thing God has ever done or will ever do in your life is save you first peter chapter 2 verse 25 says for you were straying like sheep you were wandering away you were in danger Being led astray, not having someone guide you and guard you, you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. That happened in your life because Jesus, just like with his disciples in the boat, saw you and he saw me in our distress and he came to us. And he showed us who he is and he called us to himself and he gave us ears to hear and eyes to see. That is amazing grace. But if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, know that He invites you to Himself even now. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Come to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's the compassionate heart of Jesus toward you. So don't delay. Turn away from trying to find rest and relief in the things of this world. Find it in our once dead, now risen shepherd, savior, and king. But listen, brothers and sisters, even if you've placed your hope in Jesus, I know we can all still underestimate Jesus, just like the disciples. Not only in his ability to help us, but his heart towards us. I say that because I do this all the time. Going through something challenging or difficult in life, unsure, uncertain about the future. And I can think, God, are you really for me? Jesus, are you really for me? Are you really with me? I kind of feel like I'm out here on my own right now. Are you actually gonna come through? I can forget who Jesus is. I can forget what Jesus has done. And when I do that, it leads me to doubt what he can do. Do you ever feel that way in your own life? Do you ever wrestle with who Jesus is in that way? Maybe some of you right now are feeling like you're in a desolate place or a desperate time. Maybe you're realizing that you have a hunger within you that no matter how hard you try, you can't satisfy it with the things of this world. Maybe you find yourself fearful today something going on in your life maybe you're experiencing sickness or suffering whatever it happens to be the reality is we all need this compassionate shepherd who's not only loving and caring but also sovereign over every detail of our lives we all need a God who redeems and restores in short we all need Jesus we never move on from him But I think in the midst of that, we have to understand that his compassionate shepherding may not always look like what we think or expect or even want. The difficult situation or circumstance may not go away, but even in the midst of that, we can trust him. Because the one who multiplies fishes and loaves for the masses, the one who walks on water and calms the wind, the one who heals the sick says to you right now, take heart, I am, do not be afraid. I need this so much in my own life, on a regular basis. And my guess is you do as well. And so I want to invite you to come along with me and find your rest and find your peace and find your joy once again in Jesus today, right now in this moment, and tomorrow, and the day after that. You know what the good news is? Jesus is alive. And Jesus is the same yesterday. And he's the same today and he'll be the same tomorrow, and he's the same forever. You don't have to wonder if he will change his mind or his heart towards you, that he'll act differently towards you. He is and always will be our compassionate shepherd, not because we deserve it, but because that's who he is. So come to him in faith. Come to him in hope. Come to him by the help and the power of the Holy Spirit. Come to him again and again Come to him through prayer and through song and through his word and through community. When you're struggling in your faith and you can't even set your eyes on Christ, all you can think about is the situation you're in. Ask the people around you to help you. Help one another see Jesus. Look to him to be satisfied in this life. Look to him in times of fear. Look to him in seasons of suffering. Look for him in the desolate places. Look for him in the desperate places, knowing our compassionate shepherd is with you and for you, and he is working all things together, even if we don't know how. He's working all things together for your good and for his glory. Amen. In just a few moments, we're going to sing two songs of response that are going to put an exclamation point on who we see Jesus is from this text. One reminds us that Jesus alone is our solid rock in the midst of the storm. Everything else is sinking sand. And another says, in tenderness, he sought me, weary and sick with sin. And on his shoulders, like a good, compassionate shepherd, he brought me back to his fold again. That's who Jesus is. That's who our compassionate shepherd is. That's what our compassionate shepherd does. He brings us back to the fold of God. He brings us to the Father again. And he is our place of rest and he is our place of refuge. But before we sing, we're going to take communion together, the Lord's Supper. If you don't have the elements, you can go ahead and go grab those. We take communion now before we're going to sing these songs because this meal points us to the reality of what it took for all of that to be possible. Jesus willingly gave up his body for us. And so we eat the bread as a picture of that. He willingly shed his blood for us so that we could be forgiven and restored and reconciled to God. And so we drink the cup as a picture of that. And so as you eat and drink today, let me encourage you, rejoice. Rejoice in the grace of our compassionate shepherd who laid down his life for you and for me. And listen, if you're not a follower of Christ, We're grateful and glad that God has brought you to be with us here today. That's not by accident. We trust and believe in God's providence and sovereignty over your life. And so you're here on purpose. And so instead of taking and eating this meal, we just want to invite you to experience Christ right now. Just pray, cry out to God in the midst of whatever storm, whatever circumstance or situation is going on in your life and ask him, this compassionate shepherd, to save you. And I know that he will. And let somebody around you know where you're at so we can help you on your journey. For those that will eat and drink, let's take the bread now. A picture of Jesus' body broken for you and eat together to the praise of his name. And now let's take the cup. A picture of Jesus' blood shed for us and drink together to the glory of our God. Let's pray. Oh, holy and awesome God, we praise you. We praise you for sending your son, for sending Jesus to us. We praise you for your love and your care for us. God, we are not an afterthought. You know us, you care for us. You know the details of our lives and Jesus makes that abundantly clear to us in this text. And so Jesus, we praise you that you're our compassionate shepherd, And Holy Spirit, we pray that you'd help us to keep coming to Jesus. Help us to keep coming to him in the desolate and desperate places in our life, but also in all of life. And help us to help one another to keep fighting for faith and joy in him, whose heart towards us never, ever, ever changes. Help us to trust him in all things. God, we pray that you would replace our fear with peace. And may we worship you in all of life. Until you call us home or come again. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.